Thank you, Anita. Thank you, Ruth Ann. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we have a hope concerning the future. We have an expectation concerning the future. But we're also aware of the fact that that's not merely future. Our relationship with you deeply influences how we are to live in the present. As we consider a portion of First Peter this morning, just as the people to whom Peter wrote were encouraged, may we be encouraged as they responded in obedience, may we respond in obedience for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Down through the hallways of church history, there has been a passion to reach on believers with the gospel of Christ. Communicating the gospel of Christ involves an audience, whether a single individual, a small group, or a large group. And the receptivity of the audience is important. Thus, the body of Christ has often attempted to re create a receptive audience. Today we have used some of the following. We'll have fun activities and then a break to share the gospel. Might have music with the gospel intertwined. Might have evangelistic meetings, teen sport events, or concerts. At times, as I read about some of the things we do and some that I've done along the way, it seems we're almost deceptive trying to hide the hook, the gospel, with some other activity and then spring the gospel on them. Is it possible to have an audience where people are eager, desiring to hear? They have questions, which they ask because they desire answers. They want to know the truth. This stands in contrast to those who may raise questions to prove Christians wrong or to call them stupid on how dumb Christianity looks in daily living. What is at the core of a potential audience of one, five, or many that may be receptive? Peter offers answers as he writes to people who are undergoing persecution. The persecution comes from neighbors, from co-workers, Family, friends, not the government at this point in time. How are believers to live in such a culture? As we look at First Peter 3, keep in mind the flow of the passage that Peter emphasizes in chapter 1, 1 through 9 in chapter 2, 4 through 10. Their identity, that is the reader's identity, and who they are in Christ. God has called them. He shares their identity. And then in chapter 2, verses 11 through chapter 3 and verse 12, he discusses how to live as citizens, as slaves, as wives, as husbands, as believers in general. Then in chapter 3, 13 through 22, he shares the result of living in such a way. Questions, comments, 
from a receptive audience. In chapter 3, he says in verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed at their slander. It seems like, and I'm confident that's what Peter is saying, that because of the way slaves are living, the way citizens are living, the way husbands and wives are living, the way believers in general are living and relating, that unbelievers are saying, why do you live the way you do? What is your hope? You're going through difficulty. You're going through persecution. But yet you respond in a godly way. Why? Let's read together First Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, When he says, finally, he has already spoken to citizens, to slaves, to husbands, and to wives. Now he seems to be addressing everyone. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then he goes on, as we read earlier in verses 13 through the end of the chapter, that apparently their lifestyles would raise questions. And in verse 8, we find what I would call some qualities that Peter wants them to put on. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Live as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. These verses not only verse 8, but through the end of the chapter, address the body. That is, the believers to whom Peter is writing. In 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, he made it clear that God's elect are not islands, but have been born again by imperishable seed and are members of the family of God. They're part of the body of Christ. Believers cannot live in dependency upon Christ in 1, eight through 21 without living in dependency upon the body of Christ. The head, Christ, cannot be separated from the members of the body upon whom they are dependent. And I emphasize that because it's brought out by Peter so very clearly. Also in Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, We have Christ. He's the head. We have the body, local fellowships, the body of Christ at large. 
To be walking in harmony with the head, it involves relationships with believers. We can't separate the head from the body. If you think we can, see what happens if you sever your head from your body. So the same is true in the body of Christ. He's using an analogy. The body involves the head, Christ. The body of Christ. We need one another. It's vital to understand that one's covenant relationship with God through Christ is never just an individual. The body of Christ is to produce and help believers as they go through difficulties in life. And that's what he says in verse 8. To be chosen by God, set apart by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of participating in Christ means coming into a relationship with others who are also chosen. We come into a relationship with Christ, but we come into a relationship with other believers the body of Christ. The Christian life cannot be lived authentically alone. The Christian life cannot be lived authentically alone. If we are to understand and apply this passage to our Western culture, we must understand that commitment to the body of Christ trumps our view, our concept of individualism. Where commitment today is founded is often evaluated in terms of individual needs. An individual whose needs are no longer met, from that person's point of view by a local community of believers or family, terminates a commitment and seeks a new, more obliging group. Such thinking runs counter to Chapter 3 and verse 8. It also hinders the development of holiness and character in that individual and the local body they leave. It's been my observation that as believers stick together with the qualities, harmony, sympathy, love, compassion, and humility, we blossom in terms of what God desires for the body of Christ. On the road, a local fellowship, a community of believers, there's a temptation to go too much to the individual, or there's a temptation on the other side of this road, so to speak, to go too much beyond local, individual beyond local involved. But at the core, the center is local fellowship and local community. And it's that context in which Peter is speaking. And Peter says, finally, all of you. He's speaking to the entire body of believers. He says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. He says, live. We're talking about a lifestyle, a pattern of life. And he says, live in harmony. What is harmony? 
like-minded, the same mind. It's like an orchestra. Didn't work out. But last night, uh, punched in orchestra warming up. And for about 15 seconds, this terrible sounding took place. The orchestra's warming up. You know, everybody doing their own thing. And then I punched an orchestra playing. And they're in harmony as they follow the director. Being in harmony for the people to whom Peter is writing, for believers today. There's different gifts. There's various victories. There's various strengths. There's various trials. But recognizing Christ is the head. He is the director. He orchestrates. The Spirit of God lives in each believer. Guiding, directing. And now he says to the body, people to whom he's writing, live in harmony. Living in harmony involves a common heritage of faith. And this quality of harmony is essential for sustaining community. Due to all elects coming, all of God's elect coming into the body of Christ through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, there is no rank, there is no class of believers. All are dependent upon the body of Christ. And this harmony or like-mindedness implies a willingness to conform one's goals, needs, expectations, to the purpose of the larger community, the body of Christ. In our culture today, the previous sentence is hard to accept, to understand, because we tend to be so very individualistic. How will it benefit me? We think about harmony We have those in our congregation who have experienced death of a family member. We have some that are healthy. We have some that are students. We have some that are owners. We have some that are workers. We have those who have failures, those who have victories, those with ongoing temptations that they just never seem to really conquer very well, those with questions, those ready to give up, those with success, those with setbacks. In that context, Peter says, live in harmony. Live well. Whether you are with or without rejection or criticism from other people. This involves living with Christ as our head and a deep dependency upon the Spirit of God. Thus using one's gifts and abilities for the well-being of day-by-day living and the well-being of other believers. See, the body of Christ is a level playing field. Someone may have wealth. They come by the cross confessing their sin. Someone may have very little. 
They come by the cross, confessing their need of Christ. Someone may be good-looking, and they come by the cross. Someone may not be so good-looking, they come by the cross. One may have tremendous abilities, they come by the cross. One may not have as many abilities, they come by the cross. Someone may have a terrible background in terms of sin. They come by the cross. And someone may not have as terrible background. They come by the cross. Peter says, live in harmony with one another. So these people are going through persecution, experiencing difficulty, and they're living in harmony with their differences, different backgrounds, potentially different nationalities, social standing, but they're in harmony. And what holds them together? Christ. He says, live in harmony. True in that day. True in the day in which we live. That can be done because there's a common head. The indwelling Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of rank or class or race. It's a matter of Christ. So imagine someday we're in heaven and Ray says to Joe, how'd you get in here? By the cross of Christ. And Sharon says to Gloria, how did you get in here? By the cross of Christ. And Tina says to Betty, how did you get in here? By the cross of Christ. Live in harmony. And then he says, be sympathetic. Sympathetic, the idea is to suffer with or to endure corresponding suffering. In reality, there is not individual suffering, but body suffering, since one member of the body suffering impacts the entire body. In reality, there is not individual suffering, but body suffering, since one member of the body and his, his or her suffering impacts the entire body. We struggle with that because of our individualistic culture in which we live. Well, it's just me. I'm going through a struggle. Let others carry that. Let others be involved in it. Be sympathetic. Individual suffering becomes body suffering. Again, the culture in which we live makes it hard to understand because we tend to see things individually. Sometimes we say we're lonely. And I'm sure there's people in Peter's day would have been lonely. A wife saying, look at me, poor me. My husband's not a believer. How do I live well? Be sympathetic. That means someone reaches out to her. A slave saying, I have it really, really bad. My boss or my owner rather is not nice to me. 
But what is to happen? Be sympathetic. Lack of sympathy tends to be a two-way street. We hide so no one knows. Or if we do know, we worry about ourselves and not about others. And Peter says, be sympathetic. A wife suffering due to an unsaved husband, the body being sympathetic, a slave battling with a cruel master, be sympathetic. A friend being criticized by a neighbor, be sympathetic. A job trial, be sympathetic. In our day and age, some of us struggle because children or grandchildren are not responding the way we might want. Be sympathetic. A corresponding suffering. A burden shared makes a big, big difference. Be sympathetic. Suffering with someone else. I don't know if you've ever been at a point in life where you were going through a tremendous difficulty, just a hard time in life. And you thought, no one understands. Does anyone care? And then in courage and, I would say, confidence in Christ, you shared what you're going through with someone else and you thought, my, it's not quite as bad as it was. Because the person responded in sympathy They carried your suffering. And that's where Peter is coming from. He says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. And then he says, love as brothers. The term for love here is a family love, phileo. And he mentioned that in chapter 1 in verse 22, where he said, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. The first love is so that you have sincere love. That's a family type of love. And then he says, love one another deeply. That's a different type of love. But he's talking about a family love. The Greek word is tying in with the fact and would have been understood by the readers that being a member of a family Brings with it responsibility, care, concern, and relationships. It's just part of being a family. You know, we're concerned about our family. So I got a call years ago, or maybe it wasn't a call, we were talking, but Orv, my brother said, Dan, I have cancer. Bye, Orv. I'll talk to you in a couple of years. No concern, visit, talk, and encourage. It's part of family. My mother currently is concerned. She lives in an assisted living environment. And she has had so much money, and she knows that when that money is used up, she probably might have to move to another room. A downgrade, if you please. Maybe a second downgrade, and she's very concerned about that. 
And since I'm kind of in charge of the money end of mom's, my siblings are in charge of some other areas. One day when I was visiting her, I said, Mom, let me go talk to the financial person. I talked to the financial person and I said, Mom, this is how much it's going to cost extra each day when you run out of money. And she said, then I have to get a second downgrade? I said, no, Mom. Your kids love you and care for you. You can stay where you are until you leave this earth. What am I saying? My siblings and I recognize that part of my being related to mom, part of being family, brought with it a family responsibility. And Peter is taking what his hearers would have heard as a family responsibility and applying it to the body of Christ as saying, just as you belong to a biological family and that brings it with responsibilities, you belong to the body of Christ and that means you love as brothers. You care for one another. You have the spirit of God living within you. You have Christ as your head. So whether you're a slave, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're a citizen, whether a young person, older person, as members of the same family, just love as brothers. Love as sisters. Families have the same DNA. They care for one another. That's God's design in a biological family. And in the body of Christ, we have the same DNA. The Spirit of God lives within us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 and 22. Ephesians chapter 5, talks, or chapter 4 talks about that. So the haves and the have-nots. Loving as a family. The extroverts and the introverts. Caring for one another. The black, the white, the brown. Caring for one another. The employer, the owner, and the employee caring for one another. The spenders and the tight-fisted people financially caring for one another. The owner and the renter loving one another's family. The smart and the less smart loving one another's family. The good-looking and the not-so-good-looking loving one another as family. Peter recognized that the people to whom he was writing would struggle with living in harmony, being sympathetic and loving as brothers, being compassionate and being humble. But yet to be moving in that direction. And that is why he says in verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you of the reason for the hope that you have. What is different about these people? There's a harmony there. They're like an orchestra. They're sympathetic towards one another. They love as brothers. They're compassionate. They're humble. And people ask, why? What's going on? Can you tell me? That's a receptive audience. Someone that wants to hear 
what's going on. Why are you different? How can you live in harmony? Sympathy, love as a family, be compassionate and humble. In our individualistic culture today, please understand that living in harmony with one another, being sympathetic, loving as brothers, being compassionate and humble is noticed. And people want to know. I've seen that happen in our own community. And I've seen that happen and read about it happening in others, other communities. How has the Lord spoken to you? Will you respond? Be ye hearers of God's word. Or be ye doers of God's word and not hearers only. Let's pray together. Father, as your elect, those who have been sanctified through the work of the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ, those who have experienced the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it's our desire as a body to live in harmony with one another, to be sympathetic, to love as brothers, to be compassionate and humble. And we would confess that sometimes we do well. Other times we may not do as well. But may we not dwell on how well we may have done in the past or not done in the past, but live in the present, recognizing that you are at work in us as a body. You've begun a work and you continue that. In those times of great victory, you're at work. In our times of our failure, you continue to be at work. And in grace, you don't give up. You continue to work. And may we respond to that grace in our lives as we yield to you to live in harmony, to love as brothers, to be sympathetic, to be compassionate, and to be humble. We desire that for your glory. And as you give us opportunities to speak to others because of how we are living, may we walk through with grace and boldness and clarity. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.